0: I'm your host, Claudia Shambaugh, welcoming you to the January 16, 2024 edition of Ask a Leader. So today we are we've got a special roster of talent here today. So for the full hour, our three young women applying to colleges and universities, in which we're referring to as the post it's the post obs era, where abortion and reproductive health care are highly restricted if not effectively banned in 17 states offering their personal reflections choices and experience as higher education applicants in this moment are going to be university high school senior cameron cummings applying to undergraduate programs uci alumna kimberly martinez and uci undergraduate Khalis Ajlauni, who are both applying for advanced degrees we'll be right back after a quickie Welcome back to the show. My guests for the full hour are three young women here to offer their personal reflections, choices, and experiences as higher education applicants in the post-Dobbs world. Already in August 2022, Forbes Magazine's piece by a former university president, Michael Nietzel, offered some numbers, and I'm quoting him in the article, Overall, more than two-thirds of current and prospective students said they are familiar with the abortion laws and regulations in their current state of residence, and more than half, that's 57%, said that they desire to attend a college in a state that legally protects the right to abortion. Just 17% of students disagreed. Among students who opposed the recent Supreme Court decision, 67% said they wanted to attend college in a state where the right to abortion is legally protected. Even among students who supported the Supreme Court's decision, 46% still say they desired to attend a school in a state where that right is legally protected. Only 29% said they did not. That was before... Very complicated and near-lethal outcomes have been reported since Dobbs. We are today treated to a group of local, talented young women who will avail us their perspectives during this admission cycle. University High School senior Cameron Cummings is applying to undergraduate programs, and UCI alumna Kimberly Martinez and UCI undergraduate Kalise Ajloni are both applying for advanced degrees a year and a half, that's many gestation periods and gestation stories of which have been quite grim. I've been wanting to check in with women applying to undergraduate and graduate schools and see how the availability of reproductive health care in any state in the country has a bearing on where they're applying. Our first guest is Cameron Cummings, a senior at University High School in Irvine, having survived starting her freshman year during the COVID pandemic. She holds a third degree black belt in Taekwondo and was on both the uni track and cross country teams as a freshman and sophomore. She has also received 14 awards for her academic work in English, history, mathematics, science and language. Her enthusiasm about biology is why she plans to pursue that in college. She'd like to complete a dual program in biological sciences and public policy. Cameron's hobbies include fostering kittens for the Irvine Animal Shelter and horseback riding, which she's done for the last seven years. Our next guest is Kalis Adjloni, a fourth-year student at UCI who hails from San Jose, California. She is currently completing dual majors in biological sciences and gender and sexuality studies. Her academic passions are driven by an understanding of the whole person, placing emphasis on neurobiology, gender studies, and fat studies. She hopes to earn a Ph.D. for research in those areas. Through such coursework, she found a deep love for archival practices and their unique ability to preserve the history of communities. Kalise also hosts a radio show called Rage.fm with KUCI, that's Wednesdays, 2 to 4 p.m., in which she explores the concept of feminine rage in music and other media forms. My last guest joining us here is Kimberly Martinez, raised in southeast Los Angeles. She is a UCI alum who majored in political science and urban studies, who's currently applying to graduate schools to pursue a master's in urban and regional planning. She's currently working in the nonprofit sector, working on environmental justice advocacy and education in Los Angeles. They all join me in studio, and we're recording this on January 13th. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Cameron Cummings, Kimberly Martinez, and Kalise Adloni.
1: Thank you for having us.
0: That's Kalise.
2: Thank you for having us. That's Cameron. Hello, thank you for having us.
0: Well, thank you all. Well, let's, let's take you back to the rustlings of an overhauling of women's access to a broad spectrum of health care. It's not just about conception. It could be anything related to women's health. I use this sweeping language as I try to capture the immensity of policy that continues to affect the delivery of basic health services of women of reproductive ages. We could go back to your musings here about when the Texas Senate Bill 8, the latest iteration that was introduced in March 21, signed into law September 22, or what you were watching as the Supreme Court first leaked in May 2022, then formally released the ruling on Dobb versus Jackson, women's health organization in June 2022. Then there is still, there's the pending matter of the Mifepristone ban that could even be national. So I want to start with uh, whoever wants to take this first. How you were starting to watch, there's a public policy dealing with women's health care that's getting mighty close to home, if not inside the home. Kimberly, did you want to start? How are you processing that about, wow, this has all kinds of implications for choices you make?
2: Yeah, so this is Kimberly. Um, So I um, have always been a receiver of contraceptives I think ever since I was younger um it was something that like my parents believed that was really important so issues about reproductive rights and stuff with um women's health in general was something that I never had like an issue with um so kind of seeing that and seeing where it's coming from it's kind of difficult it was at first kind of difficult to place myself in the place that some of these women in these states were feeling I don't know, it kind of feels like a privilege to be from California. I always say I'm a California patriot. I love California. Um, but it, it is kind of difficult to place yourself because it it feels like it could affect me, but I don't know. It's kind of difficult to put into words. so at first it was it was kind of that feeling of it's there, but I don't know if it'll affect me as a Californian in what I consider to be the great state greatest state in the United States um so at first it was kind of difficult but after seeing kind of the outrage from other women especially on social media it was kind of like yeah (laughs) I get it um especially because I it was there was other issues that I felt at the moment I was more focused on um kind of like you know with like the dream act kind of there was like it was up in the air um and especially as like um the daughter of undocumented parents and like My brother had DACA, so it was kind of like, I had, you know, other issues to kind of think about, but once this kind of came about, it was like, okay, well, it was, I don't know, it was kind of like about prioritizing in my brain, Um, but once the decision kind of came out and kind of saying just, like, exactly what it was and exactly what it was taking away, it was kind of like, oh, well, you know, it could be me, you know, like, California is not going to save me, (laughs) like if it like overturns what you know is considered a constitutional right what else can they take so it just kind of like snowballed into so many more different things of like what else can they take <laughs> so yeah that was my initial like
0: kind of like oh okay <laughs> that's really interesting thank you i'm mm-hmm. really glad to hear you cover all of those
1: yeah
0: those realms yeah thank you who else
1: Khalees? hi this is Khalees. i had a very similar reaction at first i had like an initial wave of fear and then it was kind of comforted by the fact that I, I do live in california so the chances that like my specific rights would be revoked was a lot slimmer than people in other areas but then yeah i started thinking a lot about like the snowball effect and just how how quickly other important rights could be overturned and how many people and women would be put at risk by a lack of access to reproductive resources um so yeah, and it, I just, it caused a lot of questioning because I initially wanted to be an OBGYN. So it made me kind of take a step back and think about um, how my career and my ability to help others would be impacted by such laws.
0: Thank you. Cameron. All right. This is this, Cam- the senior in high school. So this was happening when you are you're dealing with high school issues and you're not sure you're you're supposed to be tracking all the, the the public affairs news coming at you.
3: Yeah. This is Cameron. So I heard about this like late in my junior year and I was just outraged. I could not believe that there was such a like press to control the rights of women and In something that other people should not have a say over. It's a completely individual decision, in my opinion. And so through this, A, I was completely, like, I was so grateful to be in California. It's one of the instances that makes you realize how much of a bubble, kind of a safe haven California is. And on top of that, I immediately knew that this was going to impact how I thought about where I was going to go to college and, like, planning for the rest of my life.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Well, so at some point, you you entered the phase of thinking about you're moving on into and beyond higher education. So take your time, and each one of you tell us about which schools around the country you considered on your long list first, and what was your thinking? Now you're starting to, you know, because there's a commitment. It's, it's expensive. There's... Variable kinds of applications. It's a a time allowance there. So, talk about. Let's maybe there's a kind of a a process where you you had some thoughts, some er, like a long list of institutions, but maybe and how maybe that started to get whittled down because you thought, oh, oh, we're running up against. uh, Maybe there are some implications in some of those schools you were thinking about. So, somebody want to map out that long list, and then it's starting to look a little different. Kimberly, yeah, I can
2: go. So, in my decision uh, initially, I just focused on California again. I, um, especially, I wanted to stay um, in a state that I felt like was more diverse than others. Um, That was kind of my first initial regard for what college or what university I wanted to go to. It was always a focus on how diverse the school was, um, because I felt like that would, you know. expand my learning. I don't want to go to a school that isn't diverse in thinking um, and especially isn't like socially inclusive or um, isn't thinking about like the sustainability of like different communities. So I that was my thinking. I initially thought about California, but then in California, I was like, okay, well, California is still very different. And I just decided in staying in Southern California, it's what I know and it's what I felt more comfortable with. So all the schools that I decided on were in Southern California and i ended up focusing on uci it was close enough to la that i liked um and it also um it is a bit more conservative than i would say i would like it to be in you know i would like to be in a more liberal area um but in regards to kind of like the thinking for the most part most of the campus was diverse enough Um, They felt like it felt like they were inclusive. They had a whole bunch of different organizations. So what geared me and what kind of pushed me to apply to different schools was how diverse is it? Um, How diverse are the courses? How diverse is the staff? And how am I going to fit in here and continue to push for diversity? Uh, This
3: is Cameron. So when I was originally thinking about schools, I didn't want to discount the UC system as a whole, which is an incredible network of schools. So I looked at the country and was like, what would pull me out Of going to a uc school and through that i kind of made a map and crossed out a bunch of places that i knew i would never want to live and or go to school for for four years and so through that i kind of have a list of the uc schools as a whole and then a couple places outside of that that would draw me away from california
0: okay thank you kalice
1: this is Khalis. when i was first starting to look I was initially looking for a pre med program, um, specifically a program that I could do inter- interdisciplinary studies as well in the humanities. And I found that towards the center of the country, that was a little bit impossible to find, um, especially in the southern states as well. So I ended up just gearing my search towards California um, and the west coast in general, and then a few east coastern states. And actually, found a lot of comfort in, um, I studied abroad over the summer in the UK, and I found a lot of comfort in their reproductive rights and laws, um, especially how protected they were and how easily accessible stuff was. So I've also widened my search to include the UK as well.
0: Thank you. For those of you who've just joined us, my guests are three young women applying to colleges and universities and what we're referring to as the post- Dobbs era where abortion healthcare women's healthcare in general it's highly restricted if not eliminated in 17 states our guests are university high school senior Cameron Cummings applying to undergraduate programs and UCI alumna Kimberly Martinez and UCI undergraduate Kalis agiloni are both applying for advanced degrees now you're you're already talking about where you're applying so and the factor and were you also, were you tracking any of the fallout um, of the health care policy changing in particular states, where women were becoming at risk uh, because of these changes? Were there vivid stories? And, and I th- in preparation, prior to our going on air here, you were talking about, and you mentioned also, Kimberly, in social media, but there, you were talking about what your peers, you were all conferring with each other about. I'd like to know what were those conversations and, that can inform all of us about what it's been like in your world? Really want to hear about what, what's been saying. Oh, Kimberly, you want to start?
2: Yeah, I can go ahead. So this is Kimberly. I was initially, before we were on air, um, talking about how like 80% of my friends are queer. Um, it's not when they think about uh, reproductive health. In their brains, a lot of times it's just, well, I can't get pregnant. <laughs> but it's more than just, you know, I can't get pregnant. It's about all the other stuff that comes along with reproductive health. So it was kind of something that, again, like when you first heard it, it was just like, it's there, but it's not affecting me. It was, I think that was a kind of like the thought that a lot of them had. Um, but on the other hand, um, it was a lot of outrage from like my female friends that were, um, you know, that are you know heterosexual they were like this is something that you know can really really affect us so it was a lot of both kind of like caring but knowing it wouldn't affect them but also caring because it would affect them so it was kind of interesting to see those two different um, sides of the spectrum of understanding that this is something that could affect you but also couldn't affect you and will affect different people in different ways Um, so yeah
3: This is Cameron. I would say, like, immediately after the decision, um, when I heard about it, I texted my best friend, and we were both like, oh, my God, this is crazy. How dare they do this? And those sentiments are sort of similar in a lot of my friends at school. So I've definitely had conversations with people where we talk about how we've completely changed where we think we're going to apply to and where we are applying to based upon this decision. Um, One thing I would note, though, is that there were some people... I'm very gun ho about this, is the word that I would use to describe it. I do not want to go to a place that I cannot have control over my body. And a lot of people were a little bit surprised with how serious I am on that.
0: They were. T- say more. What well, how, wh- What were they so surprised about? So it's a mixture of- Was it males?
3: Of, uh, it was actually a couple of females. It was the way I phrased it. Like I don't remember the exact phrasing, but it was something that they were shocked about. Um, because they had similar sentiments, but- the way we took it was a little bit different.
0: Okay, you c- everybody's able to unpack as much as details you like, so we can understand to make it vivid. And uh, and actually, I'm just when we were walking into Studio B for this recording session, that uh, as as I expressed to a a radio staffer that this is what we're going to do today, and the, he was not moved. He he hadn't really any, and I think. My experience of when I'm talking about covering this as a topic coming up, usually there is a, a little emotional charge to their reaction to, well, this is what we're going to do. But it, so uh, this is the variation you're all. So go ahead. Khalees, do you have also much to say about your peers in discussing this?
1: Um, I was lucky enough to attend an all-girls school um, in high school, so a lot of my like support system comes from a very like minded place. Um so when when yeah, when the news when the news dropped and when we found out that this was occurring, it was just a lot of shared fear. Um, especially because I have a lot of friends all over the country at various schools. Some in states that will no longer have their protections um, after the like induction of such laws. So yeah, it was just a lot of fear and a lot of like mutual like support I guess we we were just really firm on the fact that like we will like fight for each other and we will do our best to make sure everyone is protected even though it was also it felt a little bit dissident because we knew that there wasn't much that individually we could do it it was just a very emotional time I'd say all
3: right this is Cameron adding back in I do remember what I said now took me a second so we were in conversation like we're talking in my art history classroom at school and we had sort of a free period because um, there was a substitute and so we were mostly paying attention (laughs) to the lesson plan Um, and so I was talking with my friends and I said I don't want to go to a state where I can't have an abortion and all of them looked at me and they were like what are you like planning to get pregnant or something And I looked at them and I was like, of course, I'm not planning on getting pregnant, but I always want to have the option to take care, like to make a decision for myself if it ever were to happen, like contingency planning. And that was something that I think a lot of people had not necessarily um, like taken to that extent yet. They were angry at the decision, but not necessarily thinking about it that way.
0: So we're going to talk about the like what the clinical offerings are, since we're on that topic right now. And I did a look around a lot of college campuses, and I know all three of you are going to have some particular reactions. But to, to the point that Cameron was bringing up is, what will a campus provide once you get there? Whether it's a matter of having a pregnancy terminated, but there were also, I'm going to bring up, there was at the oh, the University of Arkansas Medical Health Gynecological Clinic. I'm quoting what they have on their website. The gyno-women's clinic does not provide prenatal or obstetric care under sexual assault resources and survivor support. If you have experienced relationship or sexual violence, we encourage you to seek support. The university offers options so that you can choose what feels right to you. The campus sexual and and Relationship Violence Center provides victim advocacy and education services related to sexual and relationship violence. A forensic exam can't be performed. However, for more information about what you do if you are a victim of sexual assault, you can learn more here. So that was one point, but not quite the point the camera's bringing. There was, I'm trying to look at Yes, it's the Missouri website for medical care services, sexual health services. Their note, I'm quoting, this is Missouri, University of. If you need to talk about us, about any of the above, and you are assigned female at birth, please complete the reproductive health profile form and bring it with you to your appointment. So there is this communication of their rather firm assumptions about who gets Reproductive health care or health care in general, and so I, in preparation for the interview, I was sharing the language that the health care centers are posting on. It's it's not in the admissions tab. You go. To, it's and some of them were very very difficult to ferret out. They buried it. So I I spent a little time on this, folks. So I would like for all three of you to respond to what you as prospective consumers of a student health service what you saw in those postings so anybody can start there
2: i can go ahead and start this is kimberly so in my undergrad i luckily was able to get a lot of like i was under the university's healthcare, so i um was able to get my birth control checked there um i was able to get a bunch of i got a pap smear there I got a bunch of different like reproductive health um, procedures done. So the idea like looking at these and the idea of not having that at a university campus um, was shocking. I just for me initially, I just thought it was a given. So kind of seeing that from these different websites, um, I try to look through one um, and it had a bunch of different things about mental health and substance abuse and alcoholism and all very important things but it didn't have a specific tab for women's health. And just kind of seeing that it's not even an option. It's not highlighted. It's like, where do I go? Where do I look for this? So it was just kind of shocking to see um, that it's just not a given. I just expect it to be. Um, But again, I just think it's kind of like the privilege of being in California and just knowing. But yeah, seeing that, I think it was from the Texas, one of the Texas universities that didn't have it. Um, And I know that Um, Texas is a bit more um, conservative in their um, politics than California so well it's codified
0: it's a lot the the, the restrictions it's very it's very clear with and it's not just that there is a lot that's that's restricting it but there is a a cloud of uncertainty about where an emergency where that additional service might be allowed so and we saw that in some of these stories as I was talking about so yeah it's very unclear Um, and who else would like to respond? To Cameron? All
3: right, this is Cameron. Um I have to be completely honest. In the flurry of applying for colleges, this was actually never something I considered. Um I was more looking at what the state allowed and not was not what was at specific schools. Um and so it like completely shocked me that there are schools that have less of a like care standard for women than other schools. Um yeah, new thing to consider when I'm deciding on where
0: to go. Oh, so we're catching you right in the middle here. This, this radial participation is um, f- yeah, fine-tuning I your actually, admissions thoughts. Yep,
3: I have my last four school applications going out on Monday.
0: I this know. just in. <laughs> yeah,
3: um, and then decisions don't come out until late March. So a lot of how I've been deciding my schools is I go based on like what state they're in, so how much access to care I have immediately there um then how good their biology program is and then a lot of the other specifics i'm going to research later once i find out where i've actually been accepted so i have a new thing to research when i know my acceptances okay well i'm I'm glad we asked
0: calice
1: <laughs> um so i um one thing that i found really interesting when looking at the different like universities reproductive health policies is that some schools simply like would state what they don't offer um, I am the very proud owner of a Nexplanon implant, and I read at specific schools that they would not support um, the like removal or insertion of like a Nexplanon or of an IUD, which was freaky to think about. Just like going to that school and having to just sit there with a, a like dead Nexplanon in my arm for years, I just found it very disheartening to read like how little they care about reproductive health especially because like it's such a basis for the overall health of individuals yeah it just showed a lack of a lack of concern from
0: the universities and i noticed in social media there the trolls are saying well you know you should be practicing safe sex and and you know and backing up with birth control but you, here you are with an and an, a dead hormone implant it just that that's so vivid. I I, I don't know what to do with that. So for those of you who've just joined us, we're asking three women, three young women, who are applying to colleges and universities in what we're referring to as the post-Dobbs era. They this includes our guest, University High School senior Cameron Cummings, applying to undergraduate program, UCI alumna Kimberly Martinez, and UCI undergraduate kalise Adiloni. They're both applying for advanced degrees. So let's we've, we're talking about you as the applicant the prospective admission admitted person so i'd like to know what is your experience with admissions office i don't know if they come out and say that i wanted to go back to that forbes article i mentioned earlier and i'd like to quote Jessica Bryant, she's an education analyst for bestcolleges.com and the author of the survey report, and she's observed, on top of declining college enrollment nationwide, institutions and states with laws that restrict access to abortion now have a new challenge to face in efforts to attract students, end of the quote. So, and I dare say there must be a whole enterprise built around how campuses can compensate for this limiting feature. And one particular firm is called Art and Science Group, a Baltimore-based consulting firm, which offers market-informed strategy to higher education independent schools and the nonprofit sector. So knowing that that's a thing, outreach for the institutions to you panel of applicants, what has been your experience with those institutions recruiting your talent?
1: This is Khaleeske. Um, so UCI has like a graduate school fair a couple times a year where there's just different grad schools come and they do tabling across like the center of campus which is really helpful for finding graduate programs that you didn't really like consider applying to in the first place but um, as someone who is looking to go into a humanities degree specifically like in the realm of gender and sexuality studies um, so a lot of the schools I would ask them about their gender and sexuality programs And they would either assume that I'm asking about their reproductive, like, support, and a lot of them would be, a lot of them would just tell me, I'm actually not sure what we offer on that front. You can check the website. Or they would just say, like, "Um, I think, like, that's on behalf of the students to find out, which I thought was, first of all, very interesting for someone that's trying to advertise their school. But second of all, I, it definitely deterred me from applying to those schools. I think I just walked away. I didn't even grab any of their pamphlets just
0: because... It just showed a lack of concern. Did you think that was an intentional redirection? They they didn't want to bring it up, or do you think it was just sheer laziness?
1: Um, it was definitely sheer laziness, I would say. They just didn't, it, it, it kind of just showed, like, they didn't think that that was something that they had to think about. So, like, why am I bringing that up kind of situation, which, oh. Mm. Cameron? All right,
3: well. I actually was really surprised when this decision came out. So at the time, I was getting a lot of college emails, and that's like the main way that I communicate with—not communicate, but I get information about colleges. Um, So colleges are
0: emailing you, yes, because you put something down on a form. Yeah, when you take a PSAT
3: test, you can mark that you want to have emails in contact, and so that's how they get your email. So I actually didn't get any emails that addressed this at all, which I found very surprising. And what was most notable about that is when there was the decision on affirmative action, we actually did get, or I got at least, emails that addressed how they were going to like change emissions and what they thought on that sort of front. So I was quite surprised that they didn't feel the need to address the decision on
2: Roe v. Wade and overturning it.
0: Very interesting, Kimberly.
2: Uh, yeah. So I'm gonna be real honest. I wasn't thinking about it. <laughs> I like so it wasn't something that admissions people ever told me, or it's it's nothing I ever asked. So I literally never processed it. I was just like, I'm just gonna go to a school. I'm not thinking about um this stuff. And it was also I never got any of that stuff. It was always like, well, this is what we have on our campus, and this is how much money you can probably get, and. If in my brain, I was like, this is, I think, more important. But it was also like, I didn't even think um,
0: about the Dobbs decision and stuff. So, yeah. So this always makes me uh, now wonder about, you know, the, the classic... The, the tour guide of campuses that's famous for being able to talk and walk backwards. And so I'm just wondering, like, <laughs> like when you get on those tours, you back them into the student health care center and, and <laughs> pummel them with questions. So I'm just wanting you all three to think about if there there is a huge bias then. If the admissions office thinks you ought to be concerned about admissions and they're downplaying the health part, well, so there's a male sort of constituency that that is it's addressing their needs, but they' it's not addressing everybody's needs if the healthcare service delivery isn't there. So I want to know what you think about that asymmetry or that disparity. And if that'm I'm, I'm sort of putting my thumb on the scale here, but if that doesn't just bring another level of outrage as you you emerge on the scene at the campus next fall, you're just like, all right. You guys have underperformed in these areas. Now I want to, I'm even more adamant about what I'm going to get out of my college experience, my graduate school experience. So both of those things about, it's biasing. Men have less to worry about.
1: So as a gender and sexuality major, I've definitely taken a lot of courses that have changed the way that I think about this, um, just because we definitely tend to look a lot deeper into what we're learning and where that information is coming from. And there's just, an, there's just a very overwhelming bias against women and against non-men. So it doesn't really come as a surprise that we see this also translate into admission processes. I took a class with Dr. Terry, who is in our gender and sexuality department. And we spoke a lot about sexual health and what that means and how it's been formatted to specifically like uplift men and bring down non-men by kind of pushing our needs to the side and making us seem as like submissive and almost burdensome in our quote-unquote like like extraneous need for reproductive health. Whereas in reality, a lot of these issues that we're facing are like they're as a result of male actions um, or biologically male actions. So I just think it's very, yeah, it just shows a lack of concern and it shows kind of a willingness to, like, keep these power structures up.
0: Thank you. I want to hear from everybody on that. Who's next? Cameron? All
3: right. This is Cameron. So on that topic, I would say as a school, you have a responsibility to take care of the health of your students. And if you're biasing that health towards male reproduction compared to female reproduction or anything that's sort of taking away from a woman's ability to take care of herself in the fullest way possible that is not doing their duty as a school to take care of their student body properly. And that infuriates me.
0: Duly noted. Kimberly.
2: Um, This is just a little, lo- it's a loaded. <laughs> just, That's it's a very all right. Loaded Unlo- unload it all. Unload it all. Um, That's why you're here. Yeah, I just, um, especially I think coming into a institution as a minority being like four different minorities being a woman um a person of color um you know being part of the lgbt it's kind of like difficult to see that like these structures not only support men but they support men um that are you know white um and they support men that are straight and they support all these different things um so kind of seeing how they put it on the back burner when you're um you know, um, a queer person, a queer person of color, it's difficult. And especially being like myself in like a queer relationship, it's just like, how will my partner get all this stuff that they need? You know, they have their own health issues. And it's, it's just a lot, I think. Um, Yeah, it kind of, it makes me mad, kind of seeing on campus sometimes, like, um, when I went, just how, you know, how safe it felt with, for the men, but kind of knowing like, will my partner be misgendered? Will my partner this? Will I, you know, face some kind of backlash or something, um, because men are so, sometimes so close-minded, um, you know, it's just,
0: yeah. So there's a sort of psycho-social piece to this too that you're implying is you've got all of this stuff to work on, to organize and mobilize about. And if somebody doesn't have any of that to work on, they can just put everything into their academics. So you're sort of carrying around a much heavier satchel to get in, in your life on campus. So that, that disparity is to be duly noted.
3: So, oh, sorry. yes, Cameron. One more thing to add on that. There's also, as a woman and a girl, an immense pressure to not talk about like reproduction or talk about your period or how that makes you feel. And when you do talk about that, you oftentimes automatically get a oh well is your mood changing and stuff like that which drives me crazy um, so I think in the last sort of year me and a lot of my friends have kind of abandoned the um, sort of walking lightly around the fact when we're on our periods or anything like that like with all my male friends now I'm like if you don't want me to talk about it that's your problem sucks for you um, so yeah
0: And there's heads that are nodding. Radio Radios <laughs> cannot hear that nodding. Heads. They've been nodding throughout that. So let's talk then about this kind of, it's become a, a natural selection. If you're discouraging a certain demographic, so that means that selection will show up in the composition of a campus. And we know that once people go to a campus, they Maybe they'll stay in that community and go on to the workaday world. So selecting is college life. It could be community life post college. So I want for all three of you to think about the talent. It's it's this isn't like a brain drain, but it's like a talent shift, a shift away from many places. It's also and when I've talked with other guests on this show about certain Legislative measures like stem cell research is only uh, permitted in certain states and certain support for that. And that was in this researcher's case, uh, that he talked about, it's a Mason-Dixon line for where there is science being done, where there's opportunities and access actually to some of that, you know research that, that benefits people's lives. So what do you think this Mason-Dixon line that's going down? It's not just the South. It comes all the way around Arizona. It goes up to Idaho, South South North Dakota. So what do you think this bodes for the future in those states that are saying, you're not welcome?
3: Uh, this is Cameron. Um, I think that this has vast implications for the division of a lot of different viewpoints in America. Because when you don't have people feeling comfortable sharing their views... Maybe people from liberal states going to more traditionally conservative states for college and mingling and having their viewpoints mixed. That's going to cause a lot more division in the way that people see the world around them. And we already have a lot of that in the United States that's posing a very large issue in different um, legislative measures and ideological voting standpoints and such like that. So that's going to cause a large issue. And then to speak on the part of stem cell research, so my parents actually do stem cell research at UCI. It's a very large part of what they do in a day-to-day life and how they're trying to better the world. And I see, like, from the beginning of my life, I've talked with my parents about abortion. Um, I've been um, involved in discussions on it and its ethics and everything like that for a very long time. And I think that Having people view it with distaste takes away from the amount of good that it's doing the world. Um, yeah, frustrating.
0: So, who else wants to talk about that? That that club.
1: Um, this is Kalise. So, something that I have grown increasingly weary of is that in these states where reproductive measures are not supported, there is also going to be. Yeah, like kind of um, like a brain drain, I guess you could say it, where there's just not going to be like talents. There's not going to be individuals that are focusing on these issues because they're well aware that whatever they're saying is not going to be processed as well as it could be in a state where reproductive rights are supported. So you get a lot of help from external sources, help from other states, um, but it really just produces like almost deserts of knowledge within the impacted states, which is very scary for future generations. Um, there's just going to be, yeah, a serious lack of spread of information, which which scares me as a scholar. Yeah,
3: I completely agree with that. And I think it's very evident in the way that I and I think a lot of us are choosing where we're going to go to college. Like just a perfect example of how there isn't going to be the same spread of information.
2: This is Kimberly. I think when thinking about these states, I not only think about like the women, but I think about um I don't know. I just always connect it back to people of color, um, especially because sometimes there's like a language barrier. There's uh, some people aren't as um, literate in you know like the digital realm as others to get this information by themselves. There's you know socioeconomic status. Some people don't have access to it to begin with. Um, so even just you know in these states where it's a bit more restricted, it just makes it even more difficult for these people. Um, it's thinking about these communities that are already underrepresented. Um, being more underrepresented, it's like they just keep taking. And I don't know. Yeah, it's just difficult.
0: So it's a ratcheting down, the access to to all things yeah. that make society thrive. So what do you think, though, is going to be, I mean, are these states could be hollowing out serious kind of economic uh, research and development and you know, public health, I mean, all of these kind of sectors, these could all be emptying out in there, in those states. What do you think that would be like for for states just to lose out on this? Or do you think it's it's going to be a fleeting situation? I, I know I'm asking, it's sort of in the abstract here to, to sort of see the future, but it it's obviously serving a political purpose. It's fodder now for people to campaign and launch their, their political profiles, but Do you think that they're really thinking this through into a a longer term kind of outcome for a state's vitality, like thinking of Texas, thinking of Florida? They're just saying, you know, we're not interested. This is Khalees. I definitely
1: think that these states are not thinking through the future implications of their actions. Um, Yeah, like I said before, there's a serious lack of concern. and it's going to negatively impact these states. There's going to be a serious lack of knowledge. There's going to be a lack of empathy, a lack of ability to have concern for others because this is not something that is being taught in school. Like Whether you see it or not, when you're learning about issues of other communities, other cultures, other genders from you in school, you're also developing a sense of empathy and a sense of understanding for those around you. So with a lack of having this in specific states, it's going to create like yeah these deserts of knowledge these deserts of care um and they're going to be like emotionally inhabitable in some senses this is cameron so my family knows people who
3: like professors who work in florida and other conservative states and there's actu- the, what
0: are they yeah what's going on in those conversations yeah,
3: so i was we were just talking about this before the break for the holidays um with a friend that lives in florida and there is a vast shift of people moving away like professors moving away from states where they don't feel they can completely teach their material in a way that's true to the actual facts that are there rather than um, what the universities and not universities what the like government wants them to talk about so like we can see that there's a large shift in where people are willing to teach it's not just where people are going to school but it's also where new professors and such are going to start
2: their career in education Kimberly, um, so I think that this not only affects like okay, like the politics and you know the safety of people, um, but it just affects health advancement, um, especially because a lot of these institutions are leading on a lot of other different things. Um, so kind of seeing how they're just gonna let advancement in reproductive health and different um, sexual health methods um, not only affects the people, um, you know, in their state, but it you know takes away resources from. Advancements and making sure that um, you know sexual health and reproductive health has ways to maybe catch things early or treat different things. Um, So in reality, it's kind of like placing personal belief, and sometimes it's kind of like a kind of to compare it to like the separation of church and state. Um, A lot of people um, in these states don't do that; Um, they use a lot of personal beliefs and personal opinions to gear their opinions and how they decide on things. So it's kind of, um, it's kind of difficult to see that they're not placing the importance of science, um, the importance of advancement of a society, of advancement of technology um, over personal beliefs on what they think um, a person is allowed to do or not allowed to do.
0: So I guess a question that occurs to me as we're closing our time together here today is, we have a California primary on March fifth. And so I know, Cameron, you are going to be able to vote after your you'll turn 18.
3: Oh, I can vote now. I have my voter registration card. came in the mail yesterday.
0: <laughs> okay, so we have three voters. <laughs> so I want to know, either in your voting behavior or, let's say, when all the forms are in and Cameron's coasting now in her senior year, maybe, <laughs> maybe schedules free up a little tiny bit, but I want to know if there is an activist role you're starting to see or invigorating even to a greater degree that you have now knowing what you know about reproductive or women's health care in general. So it's a two-parter. It's voting behavior, any kind of activism that you you see kind of firm, firming up.
1: This is Khalees. So in terms of voting behavior, I absolutely, I view voting as something that you vote in alignment with your personal beliefs and your personal morals so I will absolutely be doing that and uh, looking at specific candidates and certain measures that would um, put protections in place for the aspects of my life that I care about so yeah and then in terms of activism I lately I've had a very specific disdain for Instagram story activism which for some reason my population my my peers have decided that that is the epitome of help and that is the that's the best way for social change i have some unfriendly words to use in relation to that so i'll just say that i do not enjoy it and i don't see it having much actual change because these people understand these people already know what's happening we need to work further than that um so i know personally Um, I am taking part in humanities research that focuses on these issues in the fat community, reproductive issues, issues of hypersexualization, etc. And I am using that as a way to actively um, make a difference, to actively share my message rather than just having it on my Instagram story for 24 hours. Like this will live in the academic, in the social sphere. Um, And I've also been encouraging those around me to take their activism further than just their like cell phone screen so hopefully that will become more of a trend more of a movement within my peers and hopefully real change will be seen
0: thank you calice cameron what about your your political behavior and even your your activism
3: i think first to mention what calice said um i think to just say that you're going to do something doesn't necessarily connotate change so in order to cause change you have to change what your actions are and you can't necessarily change the actions of the people around you. You can have enlightened and deep discussions about it. But the most that you can do is change the way you view the world and what decisions that you're making. And so to lead in to the concept of voting, that's where I really think that your activism and your change can take place. So when I think about America, I think about how lucky we are to be able to vote. Of course, there are issues with um access to voting and polling booths and some a whole other can of worms that we can't talk about today Um, but it frustrates me the people who don't vote or who don't feel like their vote matters because every vote is a chance to say something and of course depending on states with like gerrymandering and all of that stuff there's a lot more nuance added in there but I personally have been looking forward to voting more than I looked forward to getting my driver's license Um, oh my
0: goodness I mean, I was a year late
3: getting my driver's license too, so (laughs) whoops. But I am so excited to be able to vote for the first time in this upcoming election and to be able to, like, speak my views on a ballot card. And also, I think that anybody, I don't particularly care how you vote. You could vote with completely different views than I do, just so long as you're making your opinions known and stated. It doesn't matter. We could have a deeper debate later on about, what our differences are. But as long as you're speaking them out loud, that's better than staying quiet about it.
0: Thank you. Kimberly?
2: Yeah, so I think in terms of voting, um, I my ballots always come in from L.A. Like, it's the city of L.A., the county of L.A. So luckily, um, when I always see it, I feel like they're, for the most part, pretty good candidates. Um, a lot of times they kind of align with my personal views. Um, but I think in thinking about, like, the broader state and national elections and stuff um definitely looking into everything i think for the most part i've been not as good at seeing exactly what they think about a lot of different things i kind of just pick what i like and i'm like oh that sounds good enough for me um as long as they're not you know doing something crazy but i think it just will put this into a different perspective for me um, seeing how they reacted to this how they acted um and i think that's something that i did with other candidates when I was able to vote for the first time, just kind of seeing um, what they've done in the past. So I think it's important to kind of see what the candidates will be doing, uh, are doing about it now and when they're, you know, going up for their elections. Um, and in terms of activism, I think working in a nonprofit sector. You uh, already are. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just being in an organization that, you know, specifically works with the Latino community and kind of seeing the different broad um factors that we focus on health is one really big important thing that we focus on it's not um, under my you know not my expertise but it's always important to kind of see what policies are being pushed um, and what communities they're impacting Um, so kind of being able to support I think policies and making sure that they're geared through equity rather than equality making sure that they get to the communities that need them So getting more involved in that, um, you know, taking time from my day um, to kind of see, you know, what committee can I go to? What coalition can I join? um, And how can I bring this information back to, you know, my group, to people in the community, to my friends? um, Because I think education is really important in thinking about these things. So um, activism, I think, works through education. And then from there, it's about action, um, grassroots efforts and just, you know, yeah.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you all for your time today, Cameron, Kimberly, and Colise.
1: Once again, thank you so much for having us. This was a very productive conversation, and I am happy to be a part of it.
3: Yep, just to add on to that, this is Cameron. Um, that was a really awesome discussion. I've never had a chance to be on a podcast before, so it was a very good first experience.
2: This is Kimberly. Um, thank you for having this and hosting this. It's important to keep the conversation going.
0: My guests were University High School senior Cameron Cummings, UCI undergraduate Khalise Ajloni, and UCI alumna Kimberly Martinez. Well, that's my wrap. Next week, Dana Mukamel, a UCI professor of medicine, will talk about her research on what makes for higher quality nursing home dementia care. Some of you know what that's all about. Talk with you next week. Thank you for listening, everyone.